Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening, and welcome to this evening's program of the Commonwealth Club of California. My name is Gerald Harris. I am chair of the club's technology and science member-led forum, and I will be your host for this evening's program. The Commonwealth Club is America's longest-standing public forum. We are proud to maintain our focus on informing the public and our members on key local, national, and international developments. This is the place to be in the know. The focus of the Technology and Society Member-Led Forum is to expose members and attendees to current and emerging developments in science and technology, and in the process, generate thinking and ideas about the use and commercialization of technology in creating a better world for all of us. We welcome and encourage your participation in all of our programs, and more information can be found at our website, www.commonwealthclub.org. We welcome all of you who are remotely viewing this program via our online channel or who may be listening through the media. And now to today's wonderful speaker. Dr. Kerry Gates is a senior vice president and principal engineer in the Global Information Security Department at Bank of America. Dr. Gates joined the bank in October of 2018. Prior to joining the bank, Kerry has worked at a startup company as well as being a distinguished engineer at both Dell Corporation and CA Technologies. She has also been a systems engineer at Dell House University in Canada, where she received her PhD in 2006. She has over 50 peer-reviewed publications and over 20 awarded patents in the computer and network security field. Please join me in welcoming Dr. Carrie Gates. Thank you very much for the introduction. As I get started, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Bank of America before starting. We are one of the world's leading financial institutions. We are headquartered in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have a presence across the United States, and we are also operating in 35 countries globally. I have been with the bank now for about five years, and the role I have at the bank is really to be that bridge between the academic world and industry. I work with university partners in order to pursue longer-term, harder problems and try to solve them and bring that information back into the bank. So with that as a basis, what I want to talk to you about today is what is information security and what is it that criminals do? I'll provide a number of statistics in the area of cybercrime and talk about a lot of the scams that will target you as individuals. I'll also work through some scenarios with you so you can understand how they will appear to you and then conclude with some tips to be able to protect yourself. My goal with this is not to scare you with all the scary statistics and scams, but to make sure that you leave empowered with the knowledge that you can recognize what a scam is going to look like and what someone, what a criminal might use to try to get you to separate from your money, for example. Um, Before continuing, I do need to provide a bit of a disclaimer. Uh, What I am providing here is information. It is not meant to be consultative in nature. I'm hoping that you can take this information and go and learn more about information security and how it is that you can protect yourself. I'll be focused very much on you as individuals and how you can protect yourself, what kind of scams you will see, and not looking at, for example, how it is that a company can protect itself. So with that, let's talk about what is information security. Information security is the practice of protecting information from unauthorized access, use, disclosure, disruption, modification, perusal, inspection, recording, or destruction. There are really three different tenets that make up the basis for information security in order to try to protect your data from essentially anything that might happen to it that you wouldn't want to have happen. And those three tenets are confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Confidentiality refers to trying to keep your information secret so that no one else can see it or be able to use it. Integrity is talking about keeping your information correct. No one else can make changes to it. They can't delete it. And availability means that your information is always available whenever you need to use it. What does that mean for you as an individual? Let's take the example of a bank account. Confidentiality means that only you or someone you delegate is able to actually see information about your bank account. It could be your bank balance, for example. That is kept secret. 
Integrity means that only you are able to make any changes to your banking information, such as updating your phone number or your address. And availability means that your bank account is always available to you whenever you need to have that access. So that's talking about the security side. Let's take a second and take a look at what the criminals see and how we think about criminal activity. And I'm really going to focus here on fraud and scams, because that's what you as individuals are most likely to encounter. And they are different. So what is fraud? Fraud is when a criminal obtains your personal or financial information and uses it for their own personal gain. This could be something such as you have shopped someplace, you provided your credit card, it's an online shopping, that site was breached, and so now your credit card is being sold on the dark web. Another criminal has gained access to that credit card and is now using it for fraudulent purchases. That would be an example of fraud. In contrast, a scam is when a criminal convinces you to either send money or provide personal information that they can then use for their own gain. But you think that the transaction you were performing was legitimate in nature. And so they've convinced you you were doing something that you should do that is legitimate, but in fact is not. As an example here... Say you purchase something online, you provide the money for that purchase, but the item never comes to you. That would be an example of a scam. And there are several different risks that come out to people through these different types of scams. You could suffer from, obviously, from monetary loss from these. But it also could be other threats or other risks, such as information compromise or identity theft. So what I'm going to do now is take a look at some different statistics that we've seen in the headlines with regards to cybercrime. I'm going to take a step up and say cybercrime broadly at this point, not just at the individual level, to give you a sense of how big is this problem that we are facing. So the first stat, 60%. That is the percentage of breaches involving vulnerabilities with available but unapplied patches. What does that mean? On your phone, for example, your laptop, do you ever get a notice that says, I have an update for your operating system? Click yes to install. What that's doing is saying there is a patch to your operating system. Oftentimes, patches are released because there has been some kind of a security vulnerability discovered, and we know that criminals can then use that security vulnerability to break into your machine, to install malware or something. And so you're being asked to install this patch to then fix that security vulnerability, and that will protect you from criminals being able to leverage that. But as we see from the statistic, the majority of time that breaches happen people have not actually applied the patches that they need. And so it's very important to apply patches, not that it's a perfect protection, but it does make the job harder for criminals. One in 36. That is the number of mobile devices with high-risk apps installed. In this case, we define a high-risk app as being one of two things. Either your mobile device is likely to contain malware, or you have rooted or have a jailbroken device, meaning that you've removed the security features on, for example, your phone in order to install software that otherwise the phone would not have allowed you to do. These are considered high risk, and one in 36 mobile devices fall into this category. $40 million. That is the largest ransomware payout in 2021. What is ransomware? Imagine that you receive an email, for example, it asks you to install a file and run it. So you do that. You download the file, you execute the file, and what it does is it encrypts your entire hard drive. What do I mean by encrypts? It turns it into a secret code, so you can't understand what you're seeing. Your data is now in a form that doesn't make any sense to you, and you have no way to access it or get it back to the original. There is actually a secret code that you can use, a secret key, that will provide it back to the original form, but you need that secret key to do it. Remember when you were in school as a kid and you wanted to write a note to a friend of yours, but if the teacher got the note, you didn't want the teacher to know what you were saying. And so you developed a code, and it might be something like, I'm going to take each letter, I'm going to offset it by three. So instead of an A, I'll do D. Instead of a B, I'll do an E. And use that as a code and give that note to your friend. That's the similar idea to encrypting. Your friend gets the note, they know how to go back to the original form because they know that was an offset of three. So if they see a D, they know it actually means an A. Now, imagine that this was done on your computer, but the code was much more mathematically complex and difficult to reverse back to the original. In that case, you need to have the secret key to get back. 
So if you've installed this ransomware and it has encrypted your entire hard drive, you will then get a note from the criminal saying, I will give you that secret key if you pay me this much money. They're holding your data ransom, essentially. In this case, there was a company that fell victim to ransomware and they needed to pay $40 million in order to get access to their data again. 600%. That is the increase of cybercrime as a whole since the beginning of the global pandemic. The global pandemic was only three years ago. So that is a huge increase in a short amount of time. And it gives you an indication of what cybercriminals are doing to be able to actually leverage changes in the environment and take advantage of them in order to actually make more money. One in 4,200. That is the proportion of emails in 2020 that were phishing attempts. What is phishing? Phishing is when you get an email that is trying to get you to do something that you wouldn't otherwise do, like click on a link or download a file or try to get you to respond with information you normally would not provide. One in 4,200 might not sound like a lot, but think about how many emails there must be exchanged in the world on a daily basis. People talking within companies about something or talking to people in other companies or talking amongst friends and family. There's a huge amount of email that goes on daily. So one in 4,200 from a percentage might not seem great, but actually ends up being a huge number of phishing attempts. 64%. That is the percentage of Americans who have not checked to see if they've been affected by a data breach. And what I would encourage everyone here to do is to go and do an internet search for companies that will tell you if you've been impacted by a data breach or for websites that will give you that information. This will tell you if, for example, you've worked with a company and that company has been compromised, and it might be that your credit card was compromised and is now publicly available or available on the dark web to criminals. It could be your username and password combination that's been breached. That one's particularly concerning because a lot of people will use the same username and password on multiple sites. And so imagine that you go to a news site online, you have a login, that username and password is breached, and then if you reuse that username and password at, for example, a banking site, a criminal will take that. They won't necessarily know you've reused it at a given banking site, but they'll try all the different sites until something actually works. And so that is one way that you can be compromised. So I encourage everyone, please do go out to see if you have been affected by a data breach And also as part of that, don't use the same password on many different sites. 5,200. That is the average number of attacks experienced by internet-connected devices per month. That's a huge number. Imagine, again, like take my phone as an example. 5,200 attacks on average per month against just my phone. So imagine what you have for devices and how many attacks that actually means. I'll give you one last stat, $8.8 billion. That is the amount of loss that consumers reported in 2022 due to cybercrime. And to me, that number is staggering. And I really hope that by the end of this presentation, you will be better prepared to protect yourself so that you do not become one of that statistic. I'm going to take a step back to that 5,200 attacks per month statistic and ask you, On average, how many internet-connected devices do you think that a single household has? Less than 10, more than 10, but less than 25, more than 25? How many? According to a 2020 statistic report, they found that the average number of connected devices per household was 10. They expected that number to increase dramatically by 2025. I'll point out it's now 2023, so I imagine the number is higher than 10. And I started thinking about this, thinking 10 seems like a large number. And then I thought about it for my own household. I have a work laptop, a personal laptop, a phone, and an iPad. So there's four devices. My husband essentially has the same setup. Now we're up to eight. I had a new HVAC system installed recently. Now I have a thermostat that's connected to the internet. I have security cameras connected to the internet. I have a smart TV connected to the internet. So I'm already above 10 devices, and I'm only a two-person household. If I think back to 5,200 attacks per device, and if there's more than 10 devices in a household, that is a huge number of attacks to my household in any given month. I've given you a lot of statistics now of cybercrime in general. 
I'm going to come back to looking at you as an individual and as a consumer and saying, how is it that a criminal might try to attack you or convince you to be part of a scam or fraud? And one of the techniques they use is something called social engineering. Social engineering is when someone tries to trick you into divulging information or taking some action. And usually they'll use technology in order to do this kind of trick. It is psychological manipulation. They want to create a sense of urgency. You need to respond to something right away. So that's part of what they will use. They might use fear. If you don't do this, then this bad thing will happen. They could also use a reward. If you want to get this great thing to happen, you need to do this right now. In both of those cases, there's still that sense of urgency. You need to do this right now to either avoid something or get this reward. And that is what social engineers do, what criminals do to try to get you to then respond. And they will do this using multiple tools, in particular phishing, vishing, and smishing. They all sound very similar. They are very similar in nature, but it's really the medium that's being used that differentiates them. You've probably heard about phishing before. This has been around for decades now. And it's an email that you receive where you're being asked to do something such as open a file or uh, go to a particular website. And then that actually will trigger something that might be scam-related or fraud-related. Vishing is the same thing, except in that case, someone has called you. So it's using voice, hence the V. And smishing, again, is the same technique. You're getting a communication. You might be asked to click on a link, but it's coming in through a text or SMS message. Another way that someone might try to approach you in order to get you to be part of a scam or to take advantage of you would be through social media. So if you get a direct message through social media, people will use that as another way to reach out. So you need to be careful of all the different ways that someone can reach out to you and try to trick you into doing something that otherwise you would not want to do. One thing I'll point out here, if something feels off to you, it feels kind of fishy, it probably is. So one thing I would ask you to do is trust your instincts whenever you receive something unsolicited, either through email, voice, text message, trust your instincts on it. So what are the ways that a criminal might try to trick you? What kind of social engineering techniques might they use? They might call or text or email pretending to be someone you know or trust. And that's not necessarily an individual that they're trying to pretend to be. It could be that they're pretending to be a company that you know or trust, such as a bank or a government agency. And by trying to be, pretend to be that person that you trust, they get your trust and you are more likely to then give them information that otherwise you would not have done. You might be asked to make decisions in a hurry or the person tries to scare you. This relates back very much to the social engineering, that sense of urgency. They don't want you to stop and think. They want you to make a decision right away. And then maybe afterwards you might realize, oh, wait, I shouldn't have done that. But they really want you in the moment to make a decision that benefits them. You might be asked to send money in unusual ways, such as gift cards. No legitimate business or government agency will ever ask you to pay using gift cards. If you are asked to pay using a gift card, that is a big red flag. Be careful. So why is it that criminals like gift cards then? There's really three different reasons. First of all, it's quick cash for them, right? They get a gift card, they can use it right away, especially if it's, for example, a Visa card or something. The transaction is largely irreversible. Once you give someone a gift card, it's not easy to then take that back or stop any transaction using it. And the criminal can remain anonymous. You don't have to specify when you give someone a gift card who it is that you're giving it to. So now the criminal has a sense of anonymity as well. And so you need to be careful about that. Criminals might also email you asking you to click on a link or download a file. Again, we've mentioned this in the context of phishing. It might also be through a text message. Or they could call you or direct message you. If you get something that is unsolicited, that is another key to be careful with what information you're providing. Unless you are certain that you know the person that is contacting you and that it is a legitimate contact. So if it's unsolicited, that's something else that should be a warning sign for you. So with that, I'm going to go through a number of different scams that might target you. And again, the purpose here is not to scare you, but to give you a sense of the broad number of techniques that criminals are now using to try to target you. And some of them might actually be surprising. I find some of them quite interesting. And it will give you a sense of the different ways that someone might, might target you. 
The first one I'm going to mention are fake rentals. In this case, uh, as an example, you're looking for an apartment, you find the perfect apartment online and it's within your price range. If it sounds too good to be true, unfortunately, it often is. And so that's one thing to take into consideration. It doesn't mean that the apartment doesn't exist. It means be careful. So you're looking at this wonderful apartment. You want to get it. You reach out to the person to put out the ad listing the apartment. And they say, yes, it's still available. It would be great to rent it out to you. I would love to show it to you. Unfortunately, I'm not able to do so right now. I'm traveling this week. That's also a red flag. If you're not able to see the unit in person, that is a red flag. It might be legitimate, the person is traveling, and they will be happy to show it to you when you get back. But say they go on and do a bit more of a hard sell with it. It is an absolutely wonderful unit. I'm happy to show it to you in a week when I'm back. But honestly, I think it's going to be gone and off the market by then. If you really want it, you should put in an application now. So if you're starting to get that hard sell, again, there's that sense of urgency creeping in. And that fear, you might lose this apartment if you don't do this action if you don't provide first and last month's rent as a deposit right now. And so be careful about something like this. That could be a sign that this is actually a scam and not a place that actually exists. And it would be horrible to show up thinking you're moving into your ideal dream apartment and either it doesn't exist or it does exist, but it has not been rented out to you. And it's not just apartments this will happen with. It could be with hotel rooms. It could be with short-term vacation rentals. It could be with flights. It could be with cars any kind of rental, be very careful. Make sure that you are dealing with a reputable company when you are trying to rent something. Another type of scam, employment offers. How is it that a criminal could use an employment offer to scam someone? Well, imagine they put up a job ad and you respond to it. And they say, oh, you are perfect. Uh, We would love to have you go through the employment process and the interviews and everything. We just need a small application fee first. That's something to be cautious of. If someone has a job that they've posted, they're not going to ask you for an application fee. They want you to apply. They want to find the best person. They're not going to put that in as a barrier. So again, someone is asking for your financial information in a very unusual situation. Something else they might do is say, wow, you are absolutely perfect for this job. We really want to hire you. We don't even need to interview you. We'll hire you right now. We'll send you the paperwork you need to fill out to start, and we'll have you start on Monday. If you don't get interviewed, be very, very suspicious as well. Because what they're doing here is they'll provide the paperwork that seems normal for applying for a job. And it could be asking for things like your social security number. This would be normal to report to the IRS. It could be asking for bank information so they can do a direct deposit of your paycheck. Now they've gathered this information about you and can use it for their own financial gain. So be careful about employment offers where the process hasn't seemed quite right. You're asked for an application fee or you're given a job opportunity without an interview. What you can do is also go and confirm, is this actually a real job being offered? So go outside of where you're seeing the job to, for example, a website for the company you've applied for. Do they have a job, that job listed there? If you've seen the job ad on a social media site, how recent is that social media site? Is it something that's been set up recently or has it been in existence for a long time? And so try to determine how legitimate might something be if you think that this actually might be a legitimate offer. Another type of scam, service outage. In this case, you might receive an email that your online service is about to be cut off because the information that we have for your credit card on file is no longer valid. Please update your credit card information right away. Again, there's that sense of urgency. You need to update your credit card information right away. That sense of fear. You're going to lose this service if you don't go and do this right away. Uh, This is a fairly common one that people receive, for example, in emails. All of us have online, I shouldn't say all, but probably all of us, have online subscription services. And so we might not even think if we get an email that looks like it's from an online subscription that we have, we might just trust, oh yeah, that probably is due about now. I should go and update my credit card. So be careful if you get something like this. If you think it's legitimate, don't click on the links in the email. Go outside, go to the website separately, and log in there and update your information if it needs to be updated. Another type of scam, personal loans. Again, I'm going to fall back on the, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if it's an unsolicited 
application saying you've been approved for a personal loan, be suspicious of that. Especially if it's a financial institution that you don't deal with, or not even a financial institution that's making the loan offer. If it is a financial institution that you do deal with, and you think this might be legitimate, even though it sounds too good to be true, again, step back and reach out through some other medium. Go to their website. Look up the contact information you can find there for that institution. Call them and say, I received this loan offer. I would love to take you up on it. And if it's legitimate, you have a great loan now. But if it's not legitimate, you've just managed to protect yourself. Unpaid tax bills. This was a fairly common one a while ago as well. You would get a phone call saying, you have an unpaid tax bill, and we need you to pay it immediately, or else some bad thing will happen. We'll start to garnish your wages. We'll put a lien on your house. Probably goes without saying, if you're up to date on your taxes, that you should be like, yeah, whatever. But if you're at all questioning it, did I forget to pay last year? And criminals are very good at this. They might get that question into your head. If the caller is pressuring you to pay immediately, be suspicious. You are not likely to get a call from a government agency that says you need to pay right now. And so be suspicious of that. If you think there might be an unpaid tax bill, again, go to the website separately, log into that government site, determine have you paid your taxes or not. Social media. Someone might reach out to you over social media and start asking about financial or personal information. Be careful of this, even if you think you know the person. Because you might know the person, but it actually is an account that's been compromised by a criminal. And so it might not be your friend reaching out to you, but a criminal using their account to reach out to you. So again, be very careful about what kind of information you provide over social media. The other thing to be careful about these kinds of scams are the social media marketplaces. A friend of mine was taken by this. She had a dress for sale, so she put it up on social media. She had someone respond saying, I love the dress, I'd love to buy it and worked out to send her $100 for the dress. She sent a check for $100. My friend received the check and was like, but wait, the dress is only $50. So she contacted the buyer back about the mistake. And the buyer's like, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I was just so rushed. I was going by memory. I thought it was $100. I'll tell you what, just send me the dress and the $50 difference and you can have the check and we're good. So my friend did that. She sent off the dress. She sent the $50. The catch here is that then the check bounced. In the end, what happened with my friend is she was out $50 that she sent with the dress and the dress. So there are scams here that you need to be careful about. Another couple of scams I want to mention. One is romance scams. And this one I found particularly heartbreaking. You meet someone online. They seem amazing. They have the same hobbies you do. Uh, They have the same interests. If you want to settle down, they're also interested in settling down. Everything seems to match. They're a wonderful person. They're very polite, uh, very kind. They give you lots of compliments. It's a great relationship. There's only one catch. You are never able to actually meet them in person. And it could sound like a very legitimate reason. Maybe they say they're in the military and they're stationed at a remote military base. Or they have a job that has them uh, uh, stationed someplace remotely, like on an oil rig. And so now you need to be careful. And it could still be a wonderful relationship. That's not necessarily your red flag. The red flag comes in when, after that, something happens and they ask you for money. Maybe they have an aunt who's sick. And so be careful if you've met someone, they seem wonderful, but you can't meet them in person, and then they start asking for money. It's a a big red flag. Related to what I just mentioned was cryptocurrencies. There are also cryptocurrency scams out there. And it's not just through romance. It could be that you get a text that's completely random. You don't even know who it's from. And it looks like a legitimate text that would have been sent to someone else that the person knew. And so you respond saying, hey, wrong number. And then that person responds back and starts up a conversation with you. That person will then try to gain your trust. And then through gaining your trust, eventually lead into something like a cryptocurrency scam where they try to convince you that you should be investing in cryptocurrencies, let them help you. So there are other types of scams out there. In a sign of how inventive cyber criminals are in this space, not only are there cryptocurrency scams where they try to convince you to invest in cryptocurrency, there are now fake companies that say they can help you if you've been a victim of a cryptocurrency scam. But that too is a scam. It's very inventive on the part of criminals, so you need to be very careful about these kinds of things. 
One last thing I'm going to note, criminals use recent events to try to determine how they might be able to best scam you. Recently, there's been a lot in the news about student loan forgiveness, for example. And so you'll see an increase in scams related to student loan forgiveness. So always be wary about uh, current events. That could be an indication of something that someone can use as a scam. What I want to do now is go through a few scenarios with you to see what you've learned from what I've given you. So would you be able to recognize that something is a scam or not? And the very first one I'm going to give you is an email. So imagine that you receive an email. It's from an online subscription service that you do actually have a subscription with. The subject says response required. It then says response required in big red letters. It's almost time for the annual renewal of your online subscription service. However, the credit card we have on file has expired. To prevent a service disruption, please visit our service renewal center at this link and update your credit card information today. Note, if you don't update your credit card information today, we are required to discontinue your service. Turning your service back on will take some time and possibly require a credit check. As always, if you need any help or have any questions, please contact us at this phone number. We're happy to help. Thank you for being a loyal customer. So what are the warning signs if you receive an email like this? First of all, that sense of urgency. I said big red letters, response required. But not just that. If you don't update your credit card information today, we are required to discontinue your service. So there's that sense of fear. You're going to lose that service if you don't update it today. So the urgency and the fear together. It includes a link for payment. And so, again, don't trust links that are in emails that have been unsolicited. If you think this might be legitimate, go to the website separately and log in. It's asking for financial information, not directly in here, but that's what will happen when you follow the link. And it seems legitimate because it provides a phone number. So what would happen if you called that? Well, in that case, you would get in touch with the criminal who would then ask for that same financial information. And so that's not an indication that something is legitimate. So that's one for phishing. Let's look at a couple of other examples. This next one is going to be a vishing one. Imagine that you get someone calling you and they say, congratulations, you've just won an all-expenses-paid trip to Hawaii. We can't wait to get you and your family scheduled for this once-in-a-lifetime vacation opportunity. Before I transfer you to our scheduling department, I just need you to pay the processing fees using a gift card. So again, what are the warning signs here? I had mentioned before that sometimes with social engineering, instead of fear, they will use a reward. So here's an example of a reward. But if you want to get this reward, you need to actually provide financial information right now. And so again, you still have that sense of urgency in order to respond. The other thing that is a red flag here is they say using a gift card. As I mentioned before, no legitimate business or government agency is going to ask you to pay using gift cards. That is a big red flag. By the way, it's not always that you get asked to pay for something with a gift card. There are other types of gift card scams out there. I have had friends who have received emails that look like it's from their boss saying, I've got out-of-town visitors coming in. They're doing something for me. I would like to give them a gift card as a token of appreciation, but I don't have time to go do that. Can you please go out and get some gift cards for me and then send me the information? It looks like it's coming from your boss, but it isn't actually your boss who's sending that. And so you need to be careful here because then, again, if you go and buy the gift cards, thinking you might be reimbursed, and then your boss is like, I never asked for that. And the email you responded to looked like it might have been your boss, but if you look carefully, it was a similar but not the same email. Another example, this one is a text message that you receive, and it says, urgent, an attempt was made to deliver a package today, but no one was home. To reschedule delivery and ensure you receive your package, click this link and complete the form. Again, the sense of urgency. It even starts with the word urgent. And so it wants you to respond right away. It wants you to click the link right away and give that information out. So that's one thing to make sure that you're careful about. These types of scams really took off during the pandemic because everyone was online shopping. Everyone was having things delivered. And so it became a very easy and lucrative scam for criminals to use. Be cautious again because there's a link. If you think it might be legitimate, uh, maybe you are expecting a package and it hasn't arrived yet, go to the shipping company, go to their website, look up their contact information and call them and say, I received this text message from you. Please let me update the shipping information. 
and they will let you know, yes, it was correct and legitimate, or no, it wasn't, and then you saved yourself from being the victim of a scam. So those are some older examples. Let's go to newer examples. Callback scams are something that are on the rise. So imagine you get a text message. It looks like it's from Bank of America. And it says, verify $271 purchase at Costco on May 16th, 2023. Yes, reply Y. No, call this phone number to request help. Here's your reference number. Or you have a text that just says Bank of and a BA, so it kind of implies Bank of America, even though it's not stating it out front, and then says, verify your account. Card restriction. We have placed a restriction on your ATM debit card. Contact us at this phone number to verify. Send stop to unsubscribe. Now, I have to admit that I think that we in the security community did a really good job of teaching people don't click on links and emails. And I'm hoping that that translated over to don't click on links and text messages. But that means that this, because it doesn't have a link, looks more legitimate. Now you're just being asked to call someone back or to reply through text message. How could that be a scam? Well, it could be. First of all, it might say Bank of America at the top. You cannot trust that. Criminals are able to spoof the number that something is coming from and make it look like it's Bank of America, for example, when it is not. If you call that phone number, you're just going to reach the criminal who is going to then get your financial information because you think you're calling the bank. If you don't call, but you send a text message reply, then again, the criminal might not be able to continue with this specific scam, but they know that you are at that phone number, that you're monitoring it. And so they could try to follow up at a later time with some other scam to see if you might fall victim to that. So these are a couple of different scams that we're seeing that are newer and that people are falling for. There's another type of callback scam, by the way, that's even more pernicious. I'm not sure what the right word is. Imagine that you get a text message like this about verifying a purchase, and it just has you, it doesn't even have you call back. It just says, was this a legitimate purchase, yes or no? And so you say no. Then shortly thereafter, you get a phone call from someone saying, hi, I'm with whatever the financial institution was, and I want to talk to you about the fraud that you've just reported. I saw that you responded that you did not make this purchase, and I would like to make sure that your account is taken care of and that that purchase does not go through. What I need from you first is your username. Please verify like, who you are. So you provide your username. They do not ask you for your password. And they might even say, do not give me your password. Remember that you should never give your password to anyone. And so they're trying to get your trust first because there is a text message. They know about that text message, so obviously they're related. They're saying that they're from some organization that you trust and do business with. And now they're even giving you security advice. So they're really trying to get your trust. And what they're going to say is, I need to verify it's you, so I'm going to send you a code. I need you to read the code back to me. And it could be that the code is sent through email, through a text message, through an app. What's actually happening in the background is that the cybercriminal has gone onto your banking site, has sent your username, and clicked on Forgot Password. When you click Forgot Password, what a number of different companies will do is then, through some other medium, try to send you a special code to make sure that they can validate it's you. And so now the criminal is saying, oh, give me that code. They type in the code. Now they have the ability to change your password and get access to your bank account. And from there, they can use something like Zelle, which will automatically send money from your bank account to wherever the criminal wants it sent. And so this is a new type of scam. It's, in my opinion, very clever, actually. And so you need to be very careful about it. How do you recognize something like that? I mean, imagine all of the things that got them to build up your trust through this, including giving you security advice. And the thing to remember here is this was unsolicited. If you think that you might have been a victim of fraud and someone then calls you, say, one second, what I'm going to do is hang up and I'm going to call the fraud number back. And then you can look on the back of your credit or your debit card. It will have a phone number you can call. Or you can go to the website for that financial institution. It will have phone numbers you can call. So call and say, I think that this fraud might have happened. And if it has, then you can deal with it then. And if it hasn't, then, first of all, you're letting the bank know that there is this type of attack that was tried against you, and also you saved yourself from being that victim. So that's something to always remember. If you get an unsolicited anything, call, text message, email, 
be very careful to respond directly to that. Try to go verify through some other means. What we're doing at the bank is we're actually working with university partners right now on trying to protect people against exactly this kind of problem. And so what we've done with our university partners is a survey of over 1,000 people across the United States to try to determine how vulnerable are people to smishing attacks and what demographics are most vulnerable. Traditionally, in the phishing literature, particularly in the phishing, more recent phishing literature, the demographic most vulnerable has tended to be the elderly. The question was, is that also the case for smishing? And it turns out it is not. The most vulnerable demographic we found were college students. And so now we know that that's the demographic that we really need to target for educational material. The other thing that we learned that I thought was really interesting, one of the questions had an example of a scam from a financial institution from a bank and a legitimate message from the bank. And what was wonderful is that 78% of people were able to recognize the scam text message as being a scam. That's fantastic. I love that number. I'd love to see it 100%, but right now I will take 78%. Conversely, however, when they were given a legitimate text message from a bank, and banks will reach out to you using text messages, only 23% of respondents identified it as being legitimate. So that's actually a problem on the other side. That means if we as a bank try to reach out to you through text message, you don't recognize it as legitimate, you might not respond to it appropriately, and that could have some follow-on consequences, such as maybe there was an attempted fraud on your account and we were trying to let you know that, or there's some reason that you need to respond to us. And so one of the things we want to do with this research now is determine how is it that we can do things so that consumers can get a text message, recognize that it is legitimate, and do it in such a way that criminals are not able to then spoof that exact same information. And so that's what we're working on now. Another thing that's a new tactic uh, that we're starting to see rising, this is a type of vishing attack. So more traditionally, there were attacks where someone might call you and say, hi, I'm, I'm a police officer or I'm from the hospital. Your loved one has been in an accident and I need you to send money for some reason. That scam has evolved. So it's the case now where a criminal can spoof the phone number. And so it looks like your loved one is calling. On top of that, there are computer programs out there that will allow the criminal to also try to spoof the voice of your loved one. And so now imagine that you're a grandparent, you get a call from your grandchild, it's coming from the, your, it looks like it's coming from your grandchild, from their phone number, it's their voice, and they're saying, oh my gosh, I've been in a car accident and I'm at the police station now and they've arrested me and I need to provide so much money for bail. Can you please help me? Please don't tell anyone. I am so embarrassed about this. And I actually know sort of a friend of a friend on this one where this has actually happened to them. And they've received that kind of phone call. And they were actually going to provide the money until they did mention it to someone else who convinced them, no way, it might be a scam. Note that I used grandparent and grandchild on this particular example. Why did I do that? It turns out that elderly are disproportionately targeted for scams. Uh, in particular, in 2022, over $3 billion in losses occurred by people who are age 60 and over. To compare, all of the other ages combined were only a little over $5 billion. That means that people who are age 60 and up for over 30% of the losses from cybercrime last year. And so they will be targeted by scams like this because they're considered as being good targets. And then the other question becomes, how is it that, you know, how did they know what the phone number was for the loved one? How did they get a copy of the voice? Well, a lot of people will post on social media and it might be pictures of them and their grandkids and like, so excited, my grandkids came to visit this weekend and put out their names. Now the criminal can see, all right, here's the relationship, here are the names of the grandchildren, and then go and look up the social media of the grandchildren. From there, they might find their phone number listed. And on top of that, a lot of people will put out videos now. And so they can look for videos that the grandchildren have put out and capture their voice from those, use those voice samples to then create a spoof of their voice. So we're working again with university partners on this particular type of fraud. 
And what I want to do is play for you examples of this, because we always hear in the, in the news, oh, with only a few seconds of voice, people can spoof your voice. But what does it actually sound like? So I'm going to play a real voice, and then I'm going to play two impersonations. I will point out that the technology used to create these impersonations is over a year old now, so it has improved since then, but it will still give you an idea of what do the voices sound like with only a small number of samples for the first impersonation and then with a larger number of samples for the second. So here's the real voice. Everyone went to his own house. So that was taken from a recording of an audiobook. We took a number of samples from that audiobook and created an impersonation. This is a take sing 1,000 samples. So it sounds very, well, fake, right? It's raspy. It's kind of robotic sounding. It sounds a bit like a computer. But imagine we have a few more voice samples. It starts to smooth out. This is a fake using 3,000 samples. And so it starts to sound more realistic. And so if someone has put out a lot of information, a lot of videos, for example, on social media, then there's a lot of samples that could be used by a criminal in order to create that fake voice. Now, you might say, all right, that still sounds really fake to me. But I want to point out that you know, listening to this, to expect that this is going to be a fake voice. And so you're listening for it to be fake. Now, imagine that you get a phone call. It looks like it's coming from your loved one. So you're already predisposed to believing that. And it sounds kind of like their voice. Why would you ever stop to think that it might not be their voice? On top of that, there is the social engineering aspect of it. They are in trouble, and they're asking you for help. And of course, you want to help them. There's that sense of urgency. They need your help right away. On top of that, this is over a phone. The quality of calls that we receive on phones, your voice always sounds a little bit different to begin with. Now, if it happens to be a poor connection, we're accustomed to hearing things like um, chirps or dropouts or um, static or digitization. And so we're not too surprised when the voice doesn't sound quite right. On top of that, a criminal might put in background noise as well. And so it's even more difficult to hear the voice, but it still sounds kind of like your loved one. And again, why would you ever think it wasn't? And so one thing that people should think about if they're in this situation, and I admit this will be really, really hard to do in that situation, but take a breath, stop, and say, I am going to hang up and call you right back. Because the person calling you is probably calling on their mobile phone. And so if they are in trouble, if you hang up and call them back, you're going to get them. You are going to have the chance to actually help them. But if it's a scam, you're going to get your loved one who's going to be very confused when you're like, oh my gosh, are you okay? And so this could actually save you from being a victim of this kind of scam. And again, I know in the moment it's going to be very, very hard to do. As I mentioned, this is a very new tactic. There hasn't been a lot of fraud connected to this yet, but we are seeing it happen and we're seeing a growth in this happen. I will mention something else that you can potentially do to try to protect yourself. I have a friend and her daughter is actually a social media influencer. And so she's concerned about someone doing something like this. And so the daughter and mom have set up essentially a code word between them. If there's ever anything happening, here is the code that I will use to let you know that it's really me. And if I don't say this, then you know it's not me. And so that's something else that you could consider doing if you have someone in your life that you think might be potentially a victim of this. So... I have given you now a lot of different examples of different types of scams. We've worked through a number of scenarios, including some newer scams. What I want to do is summarize at this point on how it is that you can protect yourself. And the first thing I'm going to talk about are social media tips. And I didn't talk a lot about this in the presentation, but I did note, for example, in that grandchild scam that we just talked about in Vishing, that the information could be gathered through social media. So you should always be careful what it is that you were putting out on social media because people could access that, criminals can access that. And the more information they can get about you, the more they can target their scam directly at you so that you think it is legitimate. So be very careful about what you are posting. Also limit the contact information you share online. In that case, I had mentioned maybe the grandchild has posted their phone number online. Well, now the criminal has that information. Watch out for fake profiles and don't accept friend requests from people you don't know. So people could create a fake profile. Um, ever get a friend request from someone and you're looking at it going, I thought he was friends with them already. 
Be suspicious if that happens. Go and check. Are you friends with them already? And reach out to them to like, did you create this new account or not? Because it could be that someone is trying to pretend to be them in order to then do some other kind of scam against you or any other of their friends. And of course, if it's someone you don't know, why are they reaching out to be your friend? Regularly review your privacy settings. Uh, make sure that whatever you are posting is scoped so that only the people you want to see it are actually the ones who do see it. Now, at the same time, I'm going to suggest that you don't believe that the privacy settings are working. Assume that any information that you put out there, someone else could have access to. So if someone calls and they happen to know something that you've posted on social media and you think, well, the only people who would know that are my friends, don't believe that. Assume that a criminal could also get access to that same information. Um, it could be, for example, that they've compromised a friend's account of yours and then they are able to see it. You don't know what might be happening. And always remember, unsolicited messages could be social engineering attempts. Um, even if it's a friend. If it's a friend reaching out and they're saying, hey, I'm going to be in town next week on Friday. How about we go out for dinner? Great. That's one thing. But if it's a friend reaching out and they're asking for financial information or personal information, it seems a bit odd. Don't trust it. Maybe, as I say, that friend's account has been compromised. If you're worried that it is legitimate, reach out to them through some other means. Give them a call. You don't have to actually respond through that same medium. And that way you can confirm it really is your friend that you were talking with. So in order to stay safe, in addition to the social media tips, and as I was just mentioning with the social media tips, be very careful about what you're putting online and monitor your privacy settings to try to keep it so that people don't see it. One of the things I've mentioned in a lot of the examples, and I'm going to harp on again, is verify. Anything that is unsolicited contact, if it's an unsolicited phone call, email, text message, verify through some other means if you think it might be legitimate. So go to the website, contact the person through their personal phone number, whatever it is, find some other way to verify that this is actually legitimate before responding. And never share information with people you don't know, especially if they contacted you first. Again, if something is unsolicited, be suspicious of it. And really resist the pressure to act quickly. Again, that's one of the, the techniques that criminals use. They try to get you to react really quickly without thinking. And, and you really need to take that into consideration whenever you see anything as someone's really pressuring you. Trust your instincts. I'd mentioned this earlier. If something seems fishy, it probably is. If your spidey sense tingles for whatever reason, trust it. it it's trying to tell you something. And so listen to what your, your spidey sense is saying. And remember, if an offer looks too good to be true, it probably is. And so again, don't trust it. And if you want to confirm it's actually not a scam and that it is legitimate, there are other ways to go through other means to verify the information. Remember, anyone can become a victim of a scam. Criminals don't care about you at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know how else to word it. It sounds kind of cruel, but they don't. They don't care if you're married or single. They don't care if you're young or old. They don't care if you're rich or poor even. They just want to get your money. And the reason is this is their full-time job. That's what a criminal does. They're a criminal. It's their job to get your money. That's how they pay themselves. And so anyone can be a victim. They will go after anyone. If they think they found a vulnerability, they will use it. Know that criminals can use your personal information to build a fake identity. So it's not just that you need to be careful with, for example, your credit card number. You need to be careful about anything about you that could then be used to create a fake identity. Uh, someone could steal your identity to try to do one of the more common ones is if someone can get your social security number and information like that, they can put in to get credit cards, run up a debt on the credit cards, never pay them, but the credit card agencies and the credit agencies think it was actually you. So be careful about what you put out there, even just for personal information. And very importantly, report to local law enforcement and contact your bank if you have been the victim of a scam. Um, let the bank know because if you're a victim of a scam, hopefully the bank will be able to help you. But on top of that, make sure law enforcement knows as well. Uh, and a couple, I'm going to give you a couple of different websites you can go to. One is reportfraud.ftc.gov. And I'm going to say that again, reportfraud.ftc.gov is one place you can go to report that you've been the victim of a scam. 
The other place to go is the FBI. The FBI has set up a special website that specifically deals with internet crime, and that is ic3.gov. Again, ic3.gov. Please report to law enforcement if you have been a victim. So I have covered a lot of information in this presentation. I've given you a lot of different statistics. I have given you a lot of examples of different scams. What I'm hoping that you take away is the knowledge based on all of those different scams to know that this is how a scam might work against me. And here's the different ways that criminals, the techniques that criminals use. And here's how I can protect myself. And with that, I am going to turn it back over to Gerald. An amazing presentation. And I think that probably in the history of the Commonwealth Club, uh, you're the first person to try to save us $8 billion. <laughs> <laughs> be even better if I was successful at it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, but I, I thought that number was just a, a staggering, staggering number. Yes. Uh, which means there must be some people getting awfully rich at this. I would imagine so, yes. Hmm. And it's not just that there are individuals. I keep saying criminals, like the people operate in isolation, but there are actually people who operate collectively as gangs. One of the things I didn't think to mention when I was talking about ransomware is that a recent statistic that came from DHS for the first half of 2023, they've already seen, I think it was $449 million globally in losses due to, quote, ransomware gangs. So people working collaboratively to then try to infiltrate into an organization and encrypt their data so they can hold it for ransom. Unbelievable. One thing I took away from you, where you gave us a lot of sort of simple but very effective things that work, which is, I'm going to hang up and I'm going to call you back. <laughs> yes. I, I thought, that is great, because there you go. It's you absolutely it. true, yes. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I thought that one was, 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 was especially good. Now, here's one that I use, and tell me if this works or not. Uh, when my phone rings, and I don't know who it is, okay, I answer it, and I don't say a word. Oh, interesting. The reason it's- I do that is because I find it most of the time they're waiting for my voice to come on to trigger either the person there or tape or whatever. Right. Uh, can you just talk about that a little bit about, you know, um, how, how honestly, no, I don't know any statistics yeah. on what happens for something like that. That that's interesting. I know if I get a phone call and it's a number that I don't recognize, I don't even answer. And I make the assumption that if it's important, they will leave a voicemail for me and then I will call them back. And so far, that has been effective because any voicemails that have been left have been legitimate voicemails. Not to say that a criminal couldn't do the same thing, but they haven't started doing that yet. Right. Another piece of information that I've used myself personally that I think is really effective is call the number on the back of your car. Yes, yes, yes. It's right there. (laughs) Please. Do not trust us if you receive an unsolicited call like, hi, I'm from Bank of America. I could be anyone. How do you know? Um, and especially, again, I really like the it, the example scam where they're saying, I'm going to send you a code to verify who you are. Well, you've called me. You have my phone number. Why do I still need to verify who I am? You need to verify you to me. And so we need people to think about how to flip that paradigm. Like, wait a sec. How do I know that you are who you claim to be? Exactly, exactly. Now, another thing I thought you mentioned uh, is how many scam artists will use a legitimate company to make you think? Now, here's one that I get a lot. This is Amazon. Uh, we just received 307 <laughs> charges in your account. Please call this, verify this right now. I had one of the few people that does not have an Amazon account. Oh, wow. I didn't think people like you existed. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And, and it shocks the people to death when I go to like Whole Foods and they say, well, you're not getting a discount because you're not a, a member of whatever this thing is. Right. I don't even know what the name of it is. The service at the Amazon pro- Prime. Amazon Prime, yeah. Yeah, Amazon Prime, right. I don't, I don't do that, right? <laughs> wow. But it, it's amazing to me how many of these scams will, will use a legitimate company like Amazon or Bank of America or Wells Fargo or whatever What's going on with that? Is that just because they, they, they know you're going to trust it? or, or what? I mean, they right. have your so, logo, everything on the thing. Right. Well, if we continue with your Amazon example, how many people do not have an Amazon account? And so if you see something from Amazon, you already think, well, I do business with Amazon. And so 
right away you're starting there's a level of trust that you're putting into the communication. I do business with Amazon. Oh no, what are they saying? And criminals will use that. It doesn't have to work for everyone. So, you know, not everyone banks with Bank of America, for example. So if I blast out 50 people and only 20 of them actually bank with Bank of America, well, I still have 20 people that I can potentially scam. And so it, it, it makes sense to then use a legitimate company that you have. And again, it's just to build up that trust. So it's something called an imposter scam. And I wish I could remember the number. I want to say it was over $3 billion in losses to that kind of scam last year. Well, one big thing I took away from your presentation, though, is that this is really a lot of psychology being implemented through these tools. Yes. Right? There always have been scam artists of of various types. I mean, when I was a, I hate to tell you this, when I was a kid (laughs) growing up, and I was so heartbroken when this happened to me. So I go into the store, and I buy some really nice shirts and pants, right? And I walk out the store, and a guy says to me, hey, let me hold your bag because a friend of mine, you know, just asked me to do him a favor, right? And then can you go back in the store and and, and my friend's in there, right? Right. <laughs> I thought, wow, you know, I mean, how dumb could I be, right? But, you know, I, I think I must have been 14 or 15 years old. But when you well, start... Unfortunately, the way we learn these is by being victims. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's pretty heartbreaking. But it, it's, it seems to me that that trust level or the fear thing, or you might miss out. You know, I think you gave a lot of real good psychological cues here as to what these people are actually trying to do to us. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And your example from when you were a child, take that and amplify it now because they are the person had to be there physically, right? So they can't use that scam a lot. But if you're talking about on the internet, again, how easy is it to blast out you know, a million emails, right. right? Or send a large number of text messages. Right. Right. And so even if only a few people respond, that's enough. So let me ask you a really tough question because you, you gave us two, either I think it was the Federal Trade Commission and, and the uh, FBI. Yep. Are these people actually being caught and arrested and put in jail or is it? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not all of them, unfortunately, but yes. I mean, people are caught and put in jail. I can't give you any examples like, oh, this gang was caught recently. But if you go and and do a web search, you can find that there were, it tends to be larger criminal gangs that get caught because we, I was about to say we, really the FBI or who's ever doing this kind of investigation, they will start to see the patterns from what people are submitting and be able to start tracking back and, and they will work with banks and other financial institutions to try to determine here, we're seeing this kind of scam. Like, can you look at your records? What are you seeing? And we work together. Or we could see something unusual on our side, and we will alert the FBI. And they will do an investigation, and they are able to, particularly the larger crime rings, they will be able to actually. I mean, maybe that was, I think it was something like 4,000 people across the country were arrested in a big sweep uh, just last week. Hopefully some of those guys were the (laughs) cyber uh, criminal guys, yeah. Uh, Hopefully, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, the one about the granddaughter and the grandmother. Yeah. Right, that that one really touched me because it's like, well, people will try anything. I I used to get all these uh, emails from these uh, chieftains or kings in Nigeria. Oh, yes, I remember those. (laughs) Oh, they have a $10 million bank account. And, you know, you're, you're an African-American businessman and, you know, we're going to help you and we're going to, you know. So, but this this thing where someone tries to appeal to something about you personally. Yep. Again, uh, it comes back yeah. to the psychology of everything as well. Try to establish trust. Uh, if I know something about you and I can use that to help develop that trust. I saw that you posted that you love orchids. I love orchids too. <laughs> it could be as simple as that. If you try to get that personal connection because once you have that personal connection, you really start to trust the person that you're dealing with. And the more you trust them, the easier it becomes for them to then scam you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the romance scams. Oh, I hate those. Oh, my Lord. I really, really hate those. That was really, really. I mean, I think there was one uh, in the paper a few weeks ago where a, uh, a woman in Israel, I think, was taken for like three or four million dollars. And, uh, you know, she thought this person was really in love with her and. I've heard stories of, unfortunately, it always seems to be women, 
But I've heard stories of women being visited by the FBI saying you are being used as a money mule by this love interest, someone you think is a love interest. And oh, no, 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 that's not true. Would not believe it, even with the FBI visiting. And I'm like, how, I mean, how heartbreaking is that? I mean, I've gone through bad breakups, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. I already know how heartbreaking that is Mm -hmm. to imagine Mm -hmm. on top of that, that they never even cared. That was all a scam. I, I can't begin to imagine. Right, 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 right. I think that one of the most powerful things you, you gave in this presentation was how many different vehicles can be used to scam you. Yep. I mean, I and, just thought it was amazing. Yeah, and I, I'm, it's going to continue. There will be more, and, and I will sit back and go, wow, that, that's a really interesting one. I would never have thought of that. And I, that's unfortunate because it means lots of people will never have thought of it, and the way we'll know about it is that people do fall victim. And so, again, the, the only advice I can really give is, if it's unsolicited, verify. Dr. Gates, thank you again for a wonderful program. Thank this you. has been a program of the Commonwealth Club of California. Thank you for our audience for listening. And uh, please be sure to come back and check with us at www.commonwealthclub.org for future programs. We look forward to seeing you at all of our future programs. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.